Welcome to Gargantua 2. And hogwash. Well, I guess if you include the little antenna on top, it's the largest. Did I ever tell you your old man was the first boy in space? Well, first American boy, anyway. But I was the first to come back alive. Poor little Dimitri. Why is it so unbelievable that I got invited to Gargantua 2? Because you're just like a normal guy. And barely that. I am a skilled surgeon, Hank. I put your dad's arm back in his body, and I entwisted you and your brother's testicles. When did that happen? <gasps> you funneled clone, Hank! <laughs> So, hi! Welcome to Venture Brothers. Venture Bros. Wow, I've got the name of the show wrong. Venture Bros. Adventure Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Brian Dressel. With me, as always, we have Nick Top Cat Friedemann. Top Cat? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Top Hat. Top Cat Friedemann. Is this, is this like Hanna-Barbera cartoons? Cartoons from the 60s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. Because we also have Matt Underdog Dykes with us. Mm-hmm. I am an underdog. There we go. Oh, Top Cat was so awesome. I've actually was got the it? song in my head now. Yeah. yeah. Did you never? Did you never watch Top Cat? I watched. Top I don't Cat. even know what that is. What? How do you not know what Top Cat is? I mean, that's why he has the nickname. It's like, what's Top Cat? And it's like, ah, classic Nick. Nick Top Cat. <laughs> so true. <laughs> You need to watch some Top Cat. It is awesome. I mean, okay. Awesome's a really strong word, but it's pretty good. Okay, it's awesome if you're a six or seven year old, okay, and then that's... it's it's awesome now because of nostalgia. Woo, nostalgia. Okay, I'll, I'll give you the nostalgia cred at least. Um, but here we are, season six, Venture Brothers. Only God, only two seasons left. I can't believe it it's so close to the end so horrifyingly close i don't know what i'll do when i can't talk about venture brothers every week uh i mean i guess i still can just not on a podcast yeah we can do something else yeah we'll be fine we'll be fine although i will say now now that we started season six if you want to reach out to us on facebook uh via the ath page or if you want to email us or reach out to us on twitter or whatever and you have a show you would like us to cover now is the time to start making suggestions, because right now, I have no ideas. So far, I'm leaning towards Frisky Dingo, and we'll see if there's enough action on that one, because I feel like Frisky Dingo might be a dead show, but we'll get there, because that's not what we're here to talk about today. Today, we're talking about possibly the best episode of the entire franchise, according to many a fan, all this in Gargantua 2. Interesting. It's the, a favorite by that many? Yeah, a lot of people think it's the best one. Even Brock gave it a 6 out of 5 on his notes. Interesting. People... I love it. People love this episode. I am... Oof. It's, tough for, I, it, I, it's tough for me to say that I love it more than other episodes, but it's a great episode. I feel like it's an important episode, but I wouldn't put it in my favorites. It would definitely crack my top 10 i guarantee well after we finished recording the last episode i had to go and watch it i just because i wanted to go straight onto it it's i I finished season five and i have to go straight on to all this in gagantua 2 it's it's a great episode 
but since you've watched it the most and most recently, do you want to give us a quick breakdown, Matt? What happens in it? Very I quick. Knew you were going to say that. Quick as you can. Quick as okay. you can. Right. Let's go then. Uh, a host <laughs> of characters are all heading towards Gigantua 2 for its grand opening. The Revenge Society is pl- plotting to rob the place. Unbeknownst to them, though, Phantom Limb is actually working for the Sovereign, who is busy cleaning house and trying to kill the investors who are on Gargantua 2 as well. Meanwhile, the Monarch and 21 break into the Venture Compound to steal a rocket to gatecrash Gargantua 2 and do some henching of Rusty Venture. Dr. Mrs. The Monarch gets caught up in the Sovereign's purge and, along with the help of Watch and Ward, manages to escape towards a final showdown with the Sovereign. On board Gargantua 2... JJ announces to Rusty that he's dying and that he's actually envious of his life. They uh, bring aboard a f- the frozen corpse of uh, General Traster, who comes back to life and turns into a Red Hulk. When the shield is taken down by the investors, Rusty and Dean head out into space to manually reset the shield. Despite their success, the core starts to melt down and everyone evacuates Gargantua 2 and JJ flies it to a safe distance before it explodes. Also, the venture b- compound burns down. I love that ending. <laughs> also, the venture compound burns down. Way to go, Sergeant Patriot. <laughs> you know, the weird That's thing literally is- how I wrote my notes. I'd written the whole thing out. I was like, hang on, I'm not mentioning the venture compound bur- uh, burnt down. <laughs> also, the venture compound burns down. <laughs> the, the weird thing about it is I kind of forgot that Sergeant Hatred burned down the venture compound. I know it was destroyed. For some reason, I had in my head that Gargantua 2 fell on it. I don't remember why. Well, it's debatable whether or not it was actually Sergeant Hatred, because it is technically the Monarch. That's true, but... Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's true. The Monarch definitely burns it down. Sergeant Hatred just takes it away. Well, here's, I think, the best way to describe it is, the Monarch starts the fire, Sergeant <laughs> Hatred's ineptitude <laughs> lets it continue. Yeah. I could yeah, have been the only turn person... the lasers off. Oh, my <laughs> and then God. The, the fire trucks. The bit where the fire trucks kills me every time. Oh, he just It just cuts to him just going, Oh! Oh, God, no! <laughs> I'm pretty sure it, that might be my favorite Sergeant Hatred moment. Of just trying to do his best. And, oh, God. Oh, the carnage. <laughs> I just love he... how it cuts the, the fire engines in half and they just burst into flames on the... <laughs> This is more fire for them to contend with. Shockingly effective lasers for the venture compound. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. It's like the one time they probably work properly. <laughs> they don't want them to work. <laughs> oh god. It's unfortunate that's really all he's there for in this season or in this episode, because I really feel like had he been in space, he would have been hysterical. But this also kind of like it's necessary and it works. Yeah, but I think it also fits his character arc for this whole season is that it's just like becoming more and more clear that he's not Brock, which is, I think, the point. But it's also clear that he's just not really cut out for this, which the second season then or the next episode backs that up even further. Oh, the next episode really hammers the nail in the coffin that this one kind of tees up. Uh, (laughs) This guy can't handle this job anymore. The next episode, like he really can't. No. Other than he's just, done <laughs> they give him some redemption stuff throughout i think six not really in seven at all but in six they do totally. give him a few moments totally but yeah he's like he, he's just not he's not a he's not a good bodyguard he's like a he's like a good house cleaner like once or twice a week but not a good live-in butler he's a good yeah. nanny 
Yeah. And now that yeah. the boys are grown up, he doesn't really, they don't really need him anymore. So he's just kind of circling the drain and burning down a yep. compound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Sergeant Hatred. Uh, so let's kind of talk to this more about like the, the episode itself. Not really what's in the episode, but more like what this episode had to do and kind of how it got here for people who don't know. For people who just thought that this thing just dropped out of the blue, like this wonderful Venture Brothers special. Like this thing was difficult to get to screen, to put it in mild. Both Hammer yeah. and uh, Public did not agree on the like what the episode should be, like what its job had to be, like what story it had to tell or what story it wanted to tell. There's a lot of like moving parts on this one, and it's interesting that it turned out, especially with this much turmoil behind the scenes, it's interesting how well it turned out, especially since so many people love it as much as they do. But Matt, yeah. you, you read more of it than I did because it's a long section of the book. I'd probably say they spend the most time on this one episode than any other singular episode. Yeah, uh, there's you like had a more... good solid like eight pages on the, in the whole book on the episode. I think. I thought there was more than that. Like it was, it was over ten. I know that. Oh, so... sorry. I'm I'm just talking before you get to the bit where it's like cut on the cutting room floor. Oh yeah, it's well. like eight like, pages the, of the actual of... background. Yeah, it's eight pages of what's in the episode, and then pages of what was going to be the episode, and then a little bit of explanation of what the Red Society was supposed to be. Like, there's a ton in the book. But uh, if you could give us a quick breakdown of, uh, or like a little bit that you read that you thought was interesting about how this episode came to be, that'd be great. Well, like this, a lot of it was, um, just trying to, like, at the start of season five, they decided, right, we're in season six, we're going to hit the reset button, they're going to go to New York. So season five was all about setting all that stuff up. So they sort of kept mentioning Gigantua 2 a bit more because you have that very early mention of it back in season four, I think it was. where uh, the, the, It might have been season pirate, four. I know it was a long time ago. It might have even been season three, but when it, whatever episode it was, the pirate says about um, JJ's up in the stratosphere building his Gigantua 2. Um, so they brought that more into the into season five you're like you know rusty's building the rays the race shield the uh there's like lots more mentions of it so they decided like you know gigantra 2 we need to address this like when this is how we're going to get him to new york funnily enough it wasn't towards the end of the process when they were like breaking the story down when they decided they were going to kill jj because like, and, and literally the only reason they killed him off was because they're like, man, we've got really nothing left to do with this character. Uh, and they they thought of like an idea of maybe an episode where they go to Spider Skull Island for a summer vacation, but they were pretty much out of ideas of what to do with the character, so they just killed him off. They killed I... off most of the Council of Thirteen because they didn't want to get you know start digging into the backstory of all these brand new characters so like the idea was we'll kill off most council 13 and we'll build a new one with characters we've already set up and established and it was just it was a thing it was a process of stripping things down and simplifying it a bit more because they were getting they were getting some notes from the studio that it was like really complex for new viewers to to join the show um and they they themselves are sort of thinking that things were getting too big in terms of like how many characters there so they just wanted to strip it down and um you know simplify a lot of things and and go back to focusing on the family more and it's interesting that you say that because i feel like their then their goal kind of failed 
Yeah, in a way yeah. it did. But in, in other ways, I hit New York. It, it feels like a bigger show to me. It's always felt bigger since like six started. Like it just felt like a bigger, more epic show. And their it's, idea of making it smaller, I don't think really clicked. It's not so much small, it's more stripped down. So it's, it is a bigger show. But in terms of the storylines, they're more back to the family. The family's together a lot more in season six. Well, that's so true. Think, and we don't really have like the OSI-centric episodes anymore. Yeah, it, it's like, you yeah. know, they wanted to bring Brock back. So uh, they've been thinking about doing that for a while. They, they originally only planned on having Sergeant Hatred as the bodyguard for a handful of episodes. But they were having so much fun writing him as the bodyguard, they kept him around for longer. Yeah. And that's kind of my favorite thing that they do. Like, I like that they are willing to just run with things when they work. Yeah. It, it's so it's so unlike a lot of creators these days. Like, you know, they'll they'll plan if they plan out like a story thing and then start working on it and then realize, oh, actually, this is actually working really well. Sometimes they'll be a bit like, ah, oh, but it don't fit my vision. And, you know, I've got to do this. And, you know, things get they don't work as well because of that. You know, yeah. if, if if something starts working out really well, run with it. Yeah, and I think this this episode is a perfect expo- like a perfect example of like, all right, we'll just run with it because this is just a lot of like, how do we get this to this to this, and eh, we'll just kind of make it till we make it, and then we got a wonderful episode. Yeah, right, uh, and like it's such a jam packed episode as well. I mean, it like, is literally. I, I, there's so well, much jam in that episode. We'll get more into the uh, the details of it in a minute, but first, uh, Nick, you're not as hot on this one as I think most people. What doesn't work for you? It's weird because I think a lot of stuff works for me, but I don't. It, it to me, and this is not meant to be a slight at all, but this is a setup episode for the f- next season and beyond. They're cleaning yep. house and they're bringing it in. It feels like a a incredibly well done version of Pirates of the Caribbean 2 <laughs> which is not meant to be a slight but Pirates of the Caribbean 2 is like so obviously setting up the third movie and the difference is, is that 2 I think turned people off from 3 but this is like oh I'm excited to actually watch this because I'm seeing them kind of clear out some of the stuff that they were done with and not like as Matt said not holding on to it because it's stuck to a vision or anything but just cleaning it out. The investors are gone. JJ's gone. Gargantua 2 is gone. The compound is gone. You know, you can go through a list of like all the stuff that just gets cleaned out. And then we move on to, I would argue, better things. I think that like for me, this season and the season before it are kind of like not as hot for me as one and two and then six and seven or seven and eight. Right? This is six? We're in six six and seven. Six and seven. We're in six right now. Yeah. So six and seven. Because I think that it does kind of get a little bit muddled where they're not... It's interesting, but it's not, for me, what I really loved about the Venture Brothers. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, Although I find it interesting that you say that it's a lot of cleaning house. Because although that technically is what it is, when I'm watching it, it doesn't feel like cleaning house to me. To me, it it feels like a finale. Like this, totally. If this was the series finale, it would have worked. Totally, and well, and I, I agree with you. I think that the only reason why I'm bringing it up is because we're doing this podcast. Before yeah. I watched this episode it, through that lens, I felt that this was a good episode. It still wasn't my favorite, but it's it's a really good episode. Yeah. No, it, it is. It's just it's interesting that like because you're right. You are absolutely right when it comes to like the when it comes down to the details. 
as much as this is a finale and a loving send-off to these things, it also is get it out of the way so we can start doing what we want to do. Yeah. Um, which isn't think... a bad thing. It's actually probably the best way to do it. Yeah. Totally. And they execute it incredibly well because, like you said, before I had watched this episode, I didn't come into it with that lens. But as I'm watching it going like, here's who everybody is. Who's who, Here's who's gone. Even Traster, who's really not that big of a character. Let's get him out of the way so we don't have any problems with gathers. Let's yeah. just get him out of the way and we can make gathers more of like a de facto lead. Of OSI. Quite funny you mentioned that like getting gathers out of the way. In the book they mentioned they've got an idea to bring him back if they want oh, to. Oh interesting. Um they're not sure if they're ever gonna use it, but the idea is that at the end where there's the big explosion, a trace that absorbs all that radiation basically turns into a Galactus like character. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I'm so okay with it. Just because of the fact that Tracer became a Hulk after a one off joke of like, I'm a Hulk. Yeah, and then he actually became a Hulk is fucking fantastic. I love that realization where he just goes, "Tracer's a Hulk." <laughs> Tracer has like an, an urge absurd. to smash. <laughs> Tracer has oh, <laughs> oh, God. oh, it's so fucking good. It's just the way he words it as well. It's like such a traced way of wording it as well. Uncontrollable desire to smash. Yeah. Oh my God. I love Tracer. I also love Hulk Traster. Like, it just worked out great. Um, He's such an absurd character that you can do pretty much anything with. If he turned into a Galactus thing, I would be like, makes sense. Yeah, I'd buy it. Oh, it's Traster, yeah. though. I mean, that that's just kind of what you expect from Traster. Exactly. Um, all right, let's start getting a little nitty-gritty details of this thing, because there are so many. Um, yes. Let's just kind of, like, we're going to kind of just pick and choose our way through uh, what we like and what we don't like and kind of see where that takes us. Uh, I think my favorite thing in the episode, then like my favorite through line has to be, uh, I, I hate it. Cause it always is. It's Hank. I love Hank. Yeah. in This episode. He's so great. Um, I love that. He figures out Brock's there. I like that. He actually tries to be a spy with Brock. I love that. He's not intimidated by the naked woman in the bed. He just jumps up and starts talking to her. Hi, I'm Henry Allen venture. Like, Hank is just the best. Yeah, and it's almost He's like the... it's almost like a Hank version of flirting as well. Like sort of picked up on that this time I was watching it. It was like, is he trying to flirt with it, or and he's just being like you know, kind of cute about it, or is he just literally being like, "Hi there, I'm Hank. Who are you?" I think it's with Brock. It's "Hi there, I'm Hank." Yes. I agree. If it, Brock wasn't there, it'd be different. I think that it's just him. When he gets locked into Brock spy anything, Hank, it's like Hank on cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hank is a really good like engine for this whole episode because he kind of puts a lot of little things into motion. Yeah. Like in a weird way, he's kind of what gets Brock captured. <laughs> In a way, um, yeah. 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 <laughs> I and just love the subtle I, way, just like uh, he just sort of grabs the mustache as he's uh, walking back, walking out. <laughs> just, exactly. Just Which subtle. then comes back later. <laughs> where he thinks he's doing such a good job. It's no Russian Gaevich goatee, but. <laughs> I mean, that's always going to be the best. I'm Russian Gaevich. <laughs> It's so funny that that works, but like the whole huge handlebar mustache that matches his hair color doesn't. <laughs> well, he also had a henchman suit on the other one. 
That's true. That's true. He is just wearing his regular clothes in this, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. With just the yeah, okay. <laughs> the Fred dead. from Scooby Doo clothes as well. Yeah. The neckerchief is a dead giveaway. Yeah. Wow, every time. But he does wear them well. Uh yeah. <laughs> uh uh, so if not Hank, then uh, who else do we do we love in this episode? I actually love the Revenge Society. I think that they bring them back in a really intelligent way that sets them up for success in the future. Like, yeah. you know, I, I, I think that it's hard not to hate Phantom Limb, but I think this is where you start to kind of understand Phantom Limb a little bit more, and they start to bring his character back from the brink, if that makes sense. I feel like it kind of started back when he got the the shoe and toaster um well that's what i mean is that he was off the his rocker then i think now he's kind of starting to come back down yeah you know? yeah he definitely went on a journey <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> that, that, that's one way of putting it it's going on a journey mm-hmm. to a psychiatric ward yeah he, he had a he had a process he had to go through. <laughs> yep I also love that they give him shit for that. I founded this revenge society. Yeah, yeah, with a shoe. A shoe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad though that Baron Underbite really is just like this is his last bit, it's and he doesn't really have much to do. It's his well, last but... bit. It's Killinger's last bit. We say goodbye to yeah, a lot yeah, of people. It's, it's yeah, all my favorite characters. <laughs> <laughs> it's something they mentioned. Maybe this is book. why I don't love this episode. Now that I'm thinking about it, you should love it more though, because this is the last time you see him. You know, you don't. It's see a good send off for Killinger. Not a great send off for for Baron. Baron has his boomerang, uh, <laughs> boomerang jaw, and that's about it. Yeah, I love that bit. It's like very good. But what else could you do? <laughs> <laughs> and he sort of looks, looks almost like to the camera, like, oh, nothing. <laughs> there is oh, actually a, a thing in the book about that where um, a cut scene was underbite. They explain what actually happens to underbite. Um, because you, never, you don't see him get off Gargantua 2 or anything like that. So oh, yeah. in the cut scene, he asks a Fat Chance to send him back to Underland because he's just not cut out for this sort of stuff anymore. He just wants to go home. Um, oh, nice! But yeah, they cut it out. So you sort of like you're left in the air of like, did he get off? Did he I'll not believe get off? that cut scene because I love Underbite and him getting a good send off feels right. Yeah, yeah I, I, I like agree. the idea of him like having a nice little retirement home. Somewhere. Yeah, in Underland, which is in between Michigan and Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just right, just like little, just between Michigan and Canada, just that tiny little town there. Yeah, just got a little bubble of a community. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Oh man, I fucking the. I think my favorite thing in Revenge Society has to be Zero, though. Oh yes. god, I, just His every death every gets interaction every he has time. with every interaction he has with every person is amazing. Especially like even just the start of the uh, and you there Z- henchman Zero, just Zero, I <laughs> hench for no man, and just Killingers, yeah. it's just so dismissive and mean killinger who is despite being kind of a monster like is and so positive about almost everybody is tired of zero (laughs) (laughs) but you can tell that that even even the writers are just completely dismissive of zero in the way that his death is just literally just brock just breaks his neck and that's it there's no like ceremony but like brock breaks his neck hank pukes that's it (laughs) Yep. <laughs> I fucking love 
just everything about Zero from his first episode through his last is just a great character. I'm not gonna die. <laughs> it's great. Death by Samson He's also like twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's also just like an insufferable person. Oh like, yeah, he's the worst. Ugh. He tries to be helpful, but <laughs> nah. Oh god, I kind of wish Gary had found out about him dying, just because I'm like, oh, he survived. Oh, he died. That makes sense. Yep. Ah, same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Brock was gonna get him sooner or later. We all knew it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we've been talking almost half an hour. Who haven't we, who haven't we hit on this thing? We talked a little oh, bit of Tracer. Jesus. We haven't really talked uh, Rusty at all. Or JJ. Yeah, I was saving yeah. JJ for last. It's really JJ's oh, okay, that's finale. Fair. I mean, we've got, like, um, even the Monarch weren't even really touched upon. Him in 21. Well, here's just... the thing. It, unfortunately, as much as I love the Monarch and Gary, all they really do is light the fire on the compound. Yeah, yeah, but what they also do is they build up their relationship in this episode. Before it's like henchman and uh, and sort of like a uh, supervillain. But here's but here's my one, counterpoint start, to that. I, I don't disagree with what friends. you're saying. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but the the long and the short of it is if they were not in this episode and what we had was the season five finale when he said, I'm back, and then the season six, uh, the one we're covering next week, where they're just friends in the house and they're back together, I don't need their relationship in this episode to believe the jump from I'm back to them friends again. Right. Yeah. I think it's a nice to have and it does help, but it's they don't not a lot really happens. Yeah, it's a I feel wa- like. it's great. I love seeing it, but you're right. We don't we, I just don't need it necessarily. Which is why I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on them. So the monarch does have a, one of the top five moments in the episode, though, where he goes, "The monarch is on the council of thirty and then like spins a chair. Yeah, on that's and, true. And a hundred percent. Kenji goes, "Not you." That's <laughs> probably my favorite moment in the entire episode. But again, I could have had that moment without all him and Gary. That moment would still play the exact same if he had just shown up. True. True. So anyhow, yeah. back to Rusty, who we absolutely do need in this episode because this is a quite a bit of growth for Rusty. It's, yeah. kind of the, it's kind of the end of sh- this version of Shitbag Rescue. I was going to say the end of Shitbag Rescue. That's not true at all. Uh, no, 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 no. It's the end of poor Shitbag Rusty. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'll tell you and what, he- though. It's the first time I think we see Rusty in the venture with us so far genuinely do the, the go team venture V and feel like emotional. Like when he does it at the end where you see uh, JJ's taking oh, yeah. guy going through the, the, the car and he does that sort of thing. He has like a sad look on his face. And I was sort of thinking to myself, my that Rusty's an all right guy actually. And whoa, then I whoa, whoa. Rem- I, yeah, then I had to remind myself, <laughs> no he's not, no he's not. Just, just think about <laughs> yeah. all the other shit he's done. I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. That, that, that that makes sense. Still but, made yeah. a masturbating machine out of an orphan. Yeah. 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 They, <laughs> they- <laughs> Fucking hell. He's always got that in the back pocket. <laughs> I mean, yep. there's that, and then there's the knocking up a 13-year-old girl as well. There, there's a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. So even though he's sad that his brother died, still not a great dude. No. no. <laughs> and I, I think that, like, he... It's weird, but I do agree that it is, like, a genuine thing, though. Like, we've often gone back and forth on if he loves his sons, and I think he loves them as much as he can. Yes. But I do think that despite the fact that JJ basically eclipsed Rusty in record time, and JJ is kind of an asshole, but not nearly as big of an asshole as Rusty. It's he does, I think, 
miss having him around. Like if we jump ahead to the future, despite the fact that JJ basically makes Rusty what he is from pretty much here on. Yeah. That it, I think he does kind of miss having that brother. Yeah, and there, there's also an argument to be made that each generation of Venture becomes a better person. So if yes. you go from like Jonas to Rusty to Jonas Jr., each one of them is marketably a better person. And then you get to the Venture Brothers, and it's like, oh, these are just genuine human beings. Yeah. Right. So that, that's kind of I interesting mean, when you're... 13 like, clones of uh, 13 clones down the line, but yeah. I mean, I don't think they're, they were ever bad people. They're just idiots. Yeah, because they've yep. been cloned about 13 times. From... <laughs> that probably yeah. doesn't help. <laughs> oh, my God. That moment he has with uh, Billy, when Hank has with Billy on the plane. The, oh, God, You yeah. fondled clone Hank, didn't you? Uh, so if that's Rusty, we, I feel like we got to talk a little bit about Dean. because I, I, Mostly because of his moment with Rusty on the outside of the ship. And I, it's a rare moment of confidence from both of them. And I really enjoy it. Do I mean, you guys remember I, what I'm talking about? Yeah, the uh, the the shield, the It's the shield and it's the the moment of the wow, that's impressive. Well, I I know I'm impressive, but I didn't know you knew it. And then Dean gets to give the call back to him for the same thing. Like I love those moments. Like the yeah. actual sincere Oh, they were both right for once moments. Right. I thought it was sweet. I like Yeah. That. It was it was one of the rare moments where it's like a genuine father and something where you can actually think oh yeah that's actually something to do with your kids you know yeah. as opposed to Rust- everything else that rusty does like okay do the exact opposite of that when you're raising your child um oh you know yep. one character we have to talk about before we get to, to jonas jr i would say the other lead of the show uh although i didn't really think so until this watch it's uh sheila or uh dr girlfriend oh yeah yeah yeah, we definitely need. I'm. I just want to something as well. Watching Ward's entrance. Viva la resistance! Oh, that's so god. good. And then just the fucking watching Ward dogs was so good. Oh, god. I found a cheat code. <laughs> <laughs> How do you adjust the controls? Audio watching Ward throughout this was just fantastic. Uh, but Doctor Girlfriend's entire arc throughout this episode. I mean, it's kind of like what you were saying earlier with like, the cleaning house. This really was like. We should have had her in a higher position this whole show. Let's just start throwing her at it. Yeah. And yeah. She's so competent in this as well. Mate, it's her that has the showdown with the Sovereign. Mate. Yeah, and it and she holds her own very well. Yeah, despite being shot as well. <laughs> yeah. I no, mean, like, it, like it, she, if she hadn't been injured, she would have kicked the shit out of the Sovereign. Oh, yeah. And I love that we finally figure out who the Sovereign is. Like, even that was great. Of The Sovereign is just... A nobody. A yeah. A nobody. Who could shapeshift. And his death. Oh, my God. It's an, an, another nothing death. It's like yep. accidentally shot by a headshot. And I actually looked that up. Originally, they were going to try to leave that open-ended. Was, was that the Sovereign or wasn't it? And then after Bowie died, they're like, nope, it was him. Yeah, they didn't want to do anything else with Bowie after he died, which I thought was kind of a respectful. And nice they did mention in the book, like yeah. if they think of anything that, to bring the sovereign back, like any idea, they were sort of like they were the reason they wanted to leave it sort of open ended, whether or not it was, is because they were sort of like on the, the the idea of it's the sovereign, he's dead, we're done with the sovereign. But in case we think of something really good, we could just sort of say, oh no, it was just it was another eagle, and yeah, that's why they, mean- they sort of shot it that way. Which would be a very Venture Brothers like walk around. Like yeah. all it'd have to be is like two eagles flying together, and you see the one get shot, have him go. Oh, that was lucky. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. It'd be like going back to Orb and like when we thought uh I forget his name, the uh the bodyguard had snapped the neck and it's like, no, he just broke the orb. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's a very exactly. Venture Brothers workaround. It's like, oh yeah, that still works. Sandow. I was trying to think. Sandow, of thank you. Sandow. Uh okay, I think that's pretty much everything that isn't JJ. So uh let's talk a little JJ. Yeah. I, I've always kind of liked J.J. I think that, like, he is kind of a pompous jerk, but I do feel like this made me feel like, oh, this makes sense. Like, I wonder how long he knew he was going to die, because I feel like he probably knew almost, f- like, from the first few weeks of being, quote-unquote, alive when he was out of Rusty. I would guess that he was okay for a little bit would just be my my take on it, and I would say... If I had to guess when he discovered he was going to die, it'd be about a week before he started building Gargantua 2, and then he fast-tracked Gargantua 2. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I think around the time he decided to build Gargantua 2, because to him, Gargantua 2 was going to be his legacy. Yeah. Because he doesn't have the family. Like, you know, like he was saying that he's jealous of Rusty because Rusty has the family. And, you know, Rusty did it right. He had the family. He's got nothing, and he wanted to leave something behind. So Gargantua 2 is his family. In a sense, yeah. his legacy. That's what I took it at. That's what I would have guessed. I think that makes sense. Yeah, it works. Uh, but it's really one of those things where, like, I, I don't really understand. So he had cancer. We got that much from his conversation with Traster, uh, and from his little bit with Billy. But otherwise, they don't really go into like what he has or how fast he's dying, other than he doesn't have a lot of time left. Right. I kind of like that though. Because you don't have to go into that into detail. You know, all you need to know is, you know, he's got cancer, he's dying, he's not got long left. I mean, like you can sort of tell just from his general look that he's, you know, he's quite sickly, he's very pale. So we know that it's, you know, he's getting towards the end. You don't really need any, you know, for him to say, oh, it's cancer caused by this or that. I mean, you have that little bit where he says, you got all the good genes, brother. Um, this whole this whole body's like not doing very well. Something like that. I can't remember the exact line, but uh, I, I, I think it's something along the lines of like all the organs in this little body are shutting down. Yeah, something yeah. like that. I mean, that's the way it seems. And it's it's kind of sad. Like I always I agree with you. I always kind of like JJ, but I also kind of like JJ in the way of I love to hate JJ. Yeah, because JJ has yeah. got that sort of like that pompousness of Jonas mixed with the sort of. He's got like he's he's got a mixture of like both Jonas and Rusty's characteristics, and it makes yeah. quite an interesting mixture of uh, for, of character traits. And here's sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, I was just gonna say, I was literally just gonna say, and yeah, it makes him a fun character to sort of like be annoyed at whenever they're on screen. So, oh, just shut up, JJ. Now here's my one thing, and I'm just gonna put it out there just as a theoretical whatever. Take take it for what you will. I, I'm not sure that Public and Hammer ever. Th- fully figured out what to do with JJ. A hundred thousand percent. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they even say in the book that they'd run out of stuff to do because... But it, but it's not even they ran out of stuff to do. I don't think they ever fully landed on what to do. Oh, yeah. Because he always changes. Like, it, yeah. he's always... Like, they almost made him a superhero or, like, a, a protagonist for a while. They, like, they just never really fully landed on it. And it felt like after throwing as many darts at as many walls as they could... Nothing stuck, and that's where they came with the. We ran out of ideas for what to do with them, and that's why he left the ship. 
See, I wonder if it's just a thing of like, in doing that, it was also the character didn't know what to do. You That's know, the, possible. The character is, you know, he's just been born. He's in a brand new world. He's got all this, but he's been around. He's he's been, you know, we know that he knows all the stuff that's happened around. Some like being inside Doctor Venture. He's uh, Rusty. He's seen the stuff, you know, because he, he they refer to stuff like that's happened and and things sure. like that. Um, so he's aware of the world, and he's sort of like then sort of thrown into it where he he can do stuff in the world and try and make a change. Like you know, it's imag- it would be like watching your favorite TV. It's like watching the Venture Brothers, and then all of a sudden being in the Venture Brothers world. What would you do in that situation? You try a lot of different things. I don't disagree. Totally. I don't disagree with like with your take on it. I don't think that's wrong, and I think it would reasonably make sense. I just don't feel like that's how they wrote the character. I feel like the way they wrote it, he was 100% confident and knew exactly what he wanted at all times. And just the stuff behind the writing wasn't as clear focused as the character was. Yeah. And I, and I think the, the way that you explained it away, I think works and I'm willing to go with that, but I'm not sure if that's really how it shook out. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And and I, to be honest, I agree with you, but like in terms of like how we can um, sort of like translate them not knowing what to do with the characters, you know, we can sort of see it as the character yeah, didn't know what to do. And I, I think that like the what's weird is for me, I feel like the best way he was ever used was as this weird foil for Rusty, like kind of like this this opposite of what Rusty could have been if, to a certain extent, Rusty hadn't been so damaged by his father, and to a certain extent hadn't kind of developed these self-destructive tendencies and stuff like that he could have been jj yeah but they never really lean into that either they have these snippets of it in episodes but nothing that they really ever like dive into which i think is fine but i think that to me was the best way to have used him but i don't think it really ever felt natural i don't know no Mm. i agree i I think we're all kind of on the the same page with it which is both you know it's good and bad yeah bittersweet um, totally. I think we've said pretty much everything we can about this episode in a reasonable amount of time and not to keep people listening for hours on end. Um, let's move into... So for season six, our favorites will be favorite performances, which is a little different than what we've done before. Um, so that could mean that even though it's not your favorite character or favorite anything in the episode, as long as you think the person portraying the role did wonderful, then that could be your favorite. Uh, who would like to go first? I'll go first. If that's alright with everyone. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah. Um so for my for mine, I um I wrote down Colonel Gentleman. But I don't know really if it's favourite performance or if it's just that I really like all the moments he has. So it's like this hatred of the robots. You know, and then it's like it's like you keep telling you're gonna go out that airlock and then, you know, actually throws one of the robots out of the air airlock and then, you know, the bit where he gets in, where he's actually in on the action, he's kicking the crap out of everyone, then gets thrown on the ground, and and then the last bit we see of him, where he's like, "Oh, leave, leave me," I think my hips broke, and he get like cut off mid sentence, where the robot just runs past and just picks him up and carries him. I just, I love that moment. I think it's so funny, and it's, it's just, it's just the way that the the line gets cut off as he's saying, "Leave me to, leave me to die, <laughs> save yourselves." It's so fucking good. 
Oh, and that poor robot just doesn't know what's coming for him. Yeah. Um, assuming that's the same robot from the next episode, which it probably isn't. But either way, um, I'm going to go with, uh, I think Doc Hammer gets the award for me for this season or for this episode, specifically because of his uh, performance with Billy and Rose. He cracks my shit up every yeah. time as both those characters. I specifically love the moment where uh, Rose is singing to Billy and then like cuts away and then it cuts back and she's still singing. And you, and, uh, <laughs> Colonel Gentleman's like the whole song and just Billy's every time. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I love that. The two of them together just crack my shit up. I fucking love it. Just uh, keep your head down when the action starts. Mommy will protect you. Yeah. <laughs> The bird's always just about to tell him the truth, and then like all the doors on, she's like, "Your mother was a professional dancer." <laughs> <laughs> uh good shit. Uh, Nick, last but not least, uh, I was also going to say Colonel Gentleman, but I'd say my number two is uh, Toby Huss as General Traster. Oh yeah, oh, he's so good. I've been watching Halt and Catch Fire, and he's in that, and he's just, he's phenomenal in, like, actual on-screen acting as well, in terms of just, and not just voice acting, he's such a good actor, and I didn't even realize it was General Traster's voice until, until I read about it in the book, and I was like, and as soon as I've known that, I'm like, oh my god, yeah, I can hear it now, that's, that's crazy. Totally. I had never looked up who voiced Traster, and my mind is blown at who it is. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as right? you said Toby Huss, I'm like, wait, Toby Huss? I know Toby Huss. And I'm looking at his IMDb, I'm like, that's Traster? It's insane, yeah. isn't it? I had no idea. Wow, I'm impressed. It's like the- Well, he does the exact same voice on King of the Hill, and that's where I had originally oh, known him okay. from. Yes. He's just, he's so ramped up to 11. Like, he's so incredibly passionate about everything which i feel like is so funny in this episode where like stuff is consistently going wrong he is just doing his own thing pretty much the whole time he's, yeah and it's so energetic and like traces a hulk and you know I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, can, I can never remember the fucking line it's under uh overwhelming desire to smash that's it it's so fucking good I'm so impressed that this is Toby Huss. Yeah, they get some great voice actors for this show. My God. I love this show. I don't think I've said that enough. Yeah. Good shit, man. Uh, all right, I think we should say goodbye. I think this is it, right? We've done it? Yeah. We've yeah, completed it. Done everything we can. Uh, quick round of plugs. Be sure to check out all of the shows in the ATH Network, including... Samwise, Demon Days, After the Hype, and Damage Boost. Be sure to check out Superstore starting soon on NBC to support my wife. Uh, and that's it for me. Nick, are you plugging your thing yet or no? Nah, nah. I'm going to keep coming up with creepier and creepier ways to ask that question. Uh, <laughs> cool. Yeah. Matt, what about you? Uh, so my last article that went out will have been the one about petitions, which, you know getting really pissed off at the amount of people who are doing petitions about stupid things now because they're not happy with how it turned out. Uh, the next one I uh, imagine will be to do with the whole Sony versus Disney thing. And on the next episode of The Venture Brothers, I will be finally revealing what this massive article I've been writing uh, uh, is about. 
And it's going to be four parts, and it's going to be the whole month of October. Each part will be coming out one week at a time. I look forward to trying to understand what the hell they're about. Because <laughs> it is a huge blank spot in my nerddom. So I'm excited to take a look. You need to fill that spot. I think I'm okay, but we'll find out. If your article convinced me, I'll be impressed. Yeah. It's up to you, Matt. No pressure. Okay. So thank you very much for everyone for listening. Tune in next week as we get into the rest of season six. Uh, starting with, I'm forgetting the name of it now. Hostile Makeover. Thank you. I just wanted to call it something makeover. I knew there was another word. <laughs> Hostile Makeover next week. Be sure to check it out. Thank you so much. And bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.